thought about, you know, Timothy and how this letter we've said is written. He's writing to Timothy and he's, he's teaching Timothy. He's showing Timothy how to bring order to, to a church and how I could go to a, another church and it was very similar and it was orderly and I, and I would know what to, what to expect. And, you know, that's because God has, has ordained that. He has explained he has taught us what, what, what is desired, what is commanded with regards to church and with regards to the gathering of what we call church, the gathering of believers. We are the church. It's not the building. It's not the location. It's us. We're the church. And, and to hear another pastor preaching the word faithfully and exposing the word faithfully out of Mark 7 and talking about our, our heart and the things that flow out of our heart and the, the sinfulness of man. And even there, I was able to meet some, some deacons and some, some elders and that. And just to see God's word in, in, in effect and, and, and what we're talking about here. And as we, we looked last two, two weeks ago when we met, just on the, 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 we looked at church and just the, the place it serves and what it is and its importance and and the fact that leaders are there to protect and to care for. And, and today in chapter 3, we really dig into the specifics of that. And, and what we're going to see in chapter 3 is the Bible puts forth two leadership positions that are to be in place in a church. And they're there to bring order. They're there to bring protection. They're there to, to feed, to make sure the sheep are being fed to make sure that wolves and false teachers are being kept out. And those two positions are elders and they're deacons. And, and that's what Paul calls for here. And again, the, these two positions are essential to the health of a church. And, and so he goes into, in chapter 3, explaining what these two are and, and that's what I want to look at today. And starting in verse 1, he says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. What Paul calls about there, he's talking about elders. And you see that in your handout, elders. The, the word overseer there, it, it, it could be interpreted... Bishop, it could be interpreted elder. Some places you'll see it called as a pastor. But the Bible puts forth two positions in the church, leadership positions. Any organization needs leadership. Every organization has to have leadership. It has to have an understood leadership in order to function. And though we are all equals with regards to Christ, God has called some to be leaders for organization, for protection, to feed. And the first one that Paul mentions here is that of an elder. It is a unique leadership role within the church. 
If, like I said, if we were to go over to chapter 4 of Ephesians, and he has given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, same word there. If we were to go over to uh, Tim, Titus 1.7, he says, In all things show yourself to be example of good deeds with purity and doctrine dignified. He, he's calling men there. He goes on to say that they're, they're, they're leaders, and, and it's the same word. An overseer, he says there. They're synonymous. Those words are synonymous, whether it's pastor, overseer, bishop, synonymous with elder. And what we see here is that you'll see on your handout, the function of an elder is to help set the church in order. It is to provide order. That is the context here. That is the context of Titus. God has entrusted his bride, the church, to certain men who are elders and they are to care for it. They are to lead out in the preaching and the teaching of the word. They're responsible to have oversight for all areas of the church, whether it be spiritual, whether it be financial. You see pictures of this, uh, of a shepherd shepherding a flock. You see pictures of it guarding their guardians. And, and what we see here are specific guidelines with regards to who is an elder. Who can be an elder? Who can bear the title of an elder? And, and this position is not something that's campaigned for. It's not jockeyed for. You don't, you don't kind of run a, a, a campaign for it. It's not, it's not for the person who's the most popular in the church. It's not for the best businessman in the church. It's not for the smartest. It's not for those who were, who were nominated as most likely to succeed. That's not at all what he says here. The qualifications that we see here are they're character-oriented. There's going to be one skill that is listed. You know what he says? Able to teach. Everything else is character-oriented. And the reality is the character that we see here, if you were to look at other places in the Scripture, everything that we see here with regards to an elder are the same character that is called for for every other believer to be, to be seen in every other believer's lives. This is not like, these are not the supermen of Christianity. This is not a situation where you say, hey, well, you know what, that's good for them, but not good for me. That's not the case. These are the characteristics that really ought to be uh, embodied by all Christians. And, and even in our walk with Christ, even in our leadership, there are, there are qualities, there are characteristics that God sets apart so that the church can identify these men as elders. And, and God is in the habit of choosing, again, we like to pick the guys who are the, the best businessmen or, or, or the best dressed or all these other things. And that's not at all what God says here. The reality is, is God has a, has a habit of calling those who the world would not call to lead His church. If you look at 1 Corinthians 1, 26, For consider your calling, brethren, that not many of you were wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So that, here's the reason, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is not a pride position. If you want to take, say, oh, I'm an elder. Yeah, you may be an elder. You may be that way. Look, because God has chosen the base things of the world to shame the wise. 
God may be, you know, he's like, well, you know, Chris, I spoke through a donkey. I guess I can speak through you. You know, it, it eliminates pride. God has chosen these things. Why? Because men love to boast. Men love to take credit. Men, men and women are prone to pride. And God consistently chooses the ones that, that the men... You, you think back even to the king of Israel, David. Hey, Jesse, go get your sons. Paraded all his sons in front of him, the ones that Jesse would have assumed. Samuel says, you know what? There's, 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 I don't see the man here. The one I want is not here. Oh, he's just out tending sheep. You talking about the little guy, David? Yeah, yeah, get him. And guess what? God chose the people that the world wouldn't have chose to do great things. And what you see here in verse 1 is the placing of the right men in leadership. It begins with the Spirit. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's the Spirit working in a, man, a heart of a man, prompting the heart of a man to give the rest of his life to shepherd and to, to lead over the church, to preach, to pray, to care. All that a pastor does, that, that, it's a God-oriented thing. To be sure that some men aspire to it for the wrong reasons, but when it's right, this is a God-ordained, oriented calling. God Himself, you see on your handout, is the one who gives individuals the desire to be an elder. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, would I be pastoring a church? No way, no how. I went to Florida State University to get a, 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 and got my undergrad. I got my master's degree. And, and what I wanted, I will be honest with you, what I wanted were the things of the world. I wanted, a, 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 I wanted, a, I wanted to be the general manager. I went and got a master's degree so that I could be the general manager of a, of a team, an athletic director, those types of things. Houses, cars. It was all world-oriented. It was all Chris-oriented. And through the studying of it, when I moved to Tampa, that's what I was pursuing. And yet, un, unbeknownst to me, God was pursuing me in another way. And through diving into Scripture, through falling in love with the Word, ministry became the, listen, the only thing I can remember being very confused. God, I, have every, I had the position that I had dreamt of, being trained to be a general manager of a country club, all, all the golf I wanted, Food, nice places, travel, and I hated it. And I remember looking through the want ads thinking, how in the world do I, how do I have what I thought I wanted and not want it? And I remember the only, the only thing, the only thing that I could do, the only thing that had any taste at all was the recreation ministry. I did not know the recreation ministry existed two months before that. I didn't know. And God had put a desire in my heart. And listen, that's the desire, that's the desire that, that keeps you in the ministry. It's the desire that, that's the desire, it's the calling that keeps you moving forward. And, and I don't say this for sympathy, but, but until, and it's the same for you, until you've walked in the person's shoes, you just don't know what it's like. I haven't walked in your shoes, and I don't know what it's like. And you, many of you have not walked in mine and don't know what it's like. But it's that calling, the days that you wonder why, the days that you wonder, are, is it working? Are you making any progress? Is it worth it? Days of the unworthiness of, of knowing that you're, 
you're still a work in progress, and here these people are looking at you. Days where the reality is that the sheep are nasty. Sometimes sheep can be nasty. It's the calling that you go back to. It's a God-originated calling. And, and what we see here is that, again, God puts that in a man's heart. And, and once that calling is, uh, is identified by the church, is, 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 we see that in a man. You see on your, on your handout, an elder, there are specific duties that an elder is to perform. Uh, did I skip A? Did I give you all A? That's what I get for taking a week off. An elder is a servant leader who is called by the working of the Spirit. Sorry, is a servant leader who is called by the working of the Spirit. I missed A there. But not only is a servant leader, maybe what I just said will make more sense now that you have the fill-in. An elder has specific duties. Not only are they called, but they have specific duties for which they're going to give an account. God has entrusted His bride, the church, to certain men called elders. And the elders are not owners. This is not my church. This is the church I pastor. It's not mine. I'm an under-shepherd. I'm a manager. I'm a steward on God's behalf. If you were to go back to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul makes that very clear. He says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And he goes on to say, It is required of a steward to be found faithful. Faithful, that's what God calls me to, faithful. Not results, but faithfulness. And elders or pastors, they are stewards on behalf of God. We, we, we looked at Hebrews 13, 17 the other day. It says, to obey your leaders, for they keep watch over your souls and do it in such a way that, that, that because I'm going to give an account for how I stewarded you. I'm going to give an account. It is a, it is a heavy even five, six years, and I've been teaching the Word here for five years and then about six years at Idaho before that. It is a nervous, not in your stomach, still even to this day, to stand up here and say, thus says the Lord. To speak on behalf of God through the Word. That's a heavy responsibility. To, to do all the work you can to get it right. To, to not back down on the hard passages, knowing that you're going to be talking to people that, that maybe aren't going to like you because you're saying the hard things, or maybe you're, you're hitting a little close to home to them. You're calling sin, sin. That's not a popular thing today. And yet that's what God's called elders to do, to be faithful, to shepherd, and, and to do it rightly. And in 1 Peter he says, I exhort the elders, do you see the word again, among you as your fellow elder and witnesses of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Listen, shepherd the flock of God among you. See the responsibility of shepherd. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet not as lording it over those allotting to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. It is a humbling task. And yet, the Bible gives four clear responsibilities of an elder. 
four clear responsibilities, and that really that's we we have seven elders here. We have and one is on one is on rotation. We to, to come in, and we will, Lord willing, moving forward, we will have some others come on board. I, I give these to you not only so that you'll know and understand them, but that so you can hold us accountable. Four responsibilities of an elder you see on your handout. And the first one is this, to lead under the authority he has been given in and through Christ. To lead under authority. To lead as a man under authority. What that means is this, again, the church does not belong to us. We are shepherding, we are stewarding on behalf of the Lord. We're we're stewards here. We're we're operating on on behalf of the glory of the Lord. Of another, the, the authority of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 2, 5, the authority of Christ has been given to the church and is to be administered through these individuals. We're responsible for stewarding the church. If you look at Matthew 18, if you were to look at 1 Corinthians 5, you see that, that they're being held responsible for not letting sin persist, for calling out, even calling out sin. And you'll see on your handout, elders are servants of the Lord and the church. That's what he's saying. We're servants. I did not die and purchase the church with my own blood. Christ did. The reality is I'm a sinner saved by grace just as you are. And yet, God has called me to the position of pastor. It is a humbling, it's a sobering responsibility. I don't get to do what I want to do. My task is to do what the Lord has called us to do. It's not, what do, what do I think the church ought to be? No, it's what does the Bible say the church ought to be? I don't get to call the mission. I don't get to determine any of that. It's given to us. My job is to shepherd that, to lead under the authority that has been given to me. And that's what he says in, in 3.15. We've said that's the key verse. We're to, we are to, to know how to conduct ourselves in the household of God. But not only lead under the authority, one of the responsibilities in number two there is to look after and care for the church. You, you, we saw that in First Peter 5, to shepherd. Sheep have a tendency to wander. False teachers have a tendency to creep in. False doctrine has a tendency to rise up and take root in our hearts. While, while we were on vacation, it, it was cold outside, and, and uh, I'm inside, and uh, uh, one of my least favorite pastors of all time came on TV, and I said, you know, I'm going to watch him. I'm going to watch it just to see. And it was a reminder I can tickle your ears. I can tell you how great you are. I can sit up here and tell you that God owes you. That if you'll just do this, 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 and this, God will definitely do this. I could lie to you and say all that. And your flesh will want to hear it. If we were to study 2 Timothy, he says in, in chapter, or I mean 1 Timothy, chapter 4, we'll get, he says, they'll, um, they'll, days will come when they will surround themselves with teachers who tickle their ears, 2 Timothy 4, 3. They'll not endure sound doctrine. The job of an elder is not to tell you what you want to hear, it's to tell you what you need to hear. Kimberly Thompson went into the doctor's office. She did not want to hear you have cancer. But guess what? If you have cancer, that's what she needs to hear. Why? So that we can deal with it. So that it can be treated. That the role of an elder is to look after and care 
for the church. Ultimately, elders, shepherd, look, you see it on your handout, for your good in regards to the gospel and godliness. To call sin, sin is for your good. Even in Matthew 18, even in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul said, I have handed such a man over to Satan to destroy his flesh. Why? To ultimately to save his soul. To draw him back. To care for the sheep. But not only, not only to lead under authority and to look after and care for the sheep, but to instruct people. Number three, instruct people in the Word of God. The Word of God alone is what we need and has the power to build the church. It's the Word of God. It's the only thing that will lead us to maturity. For Bradley's birthday, I took, he wanted to go. He's a big Danny Gokey fan, and so I took him to the, the concert last night. And uh, it was uh, Unspoken and Danny Gokin and Ca- Danny Gokey and Casting Crowns. And Casting Crowns came out, and uh, the leader of Casting Crowns, Mark Hall, he just battled through cancer himself, and he was sharing his testimony. And he said something very interesting that, that, that resounded with me. He said, when I got, he said he got the cancer diagnosis on a Wednesday, and he had to, he's the youth leader at their church. And so he went, and he acted like everything was fine, and he got in his office, and he just kind of fell apart. And he said, what he realized at that moment, he said, everything about the Word of God that he had poured into his heart came up at that moment. And here's what he said. Had I had not poured over the Word of God in the good times, there would have been nothing in me in the bad times. You you neglect the Word of God, neglect the Word of God. And when you need the Word of God, there's nothing in you. Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, He will teach you all things and He will bring to remembrance everything that you've been taught. Guess what? He doesn't bring to remembrance that which you haven't studied yourself. That's which Psalm 119, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We as sheep have a responsibility every single day to be in the word. Matthew 4, the The man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of of God. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words became food, and I ate them. If if you're void of the word, you're going to have a hard time in hard times. It was a blessing yesterday texting back and forth with Kimberly. It was scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. Why? Because she's hid the Word of God in her heart. And my job is to feed, to instruct on the Word of God. It's all about the Word of God. It's to do everything I can to, that you would taste and see that the Lord is good, that you would delight in the Word, that, that truly God's Word would become food and you would eat it. And, and again, therefore... I, part of my time every week as an elder is spending time in the Word. I realize that that some people probably say, we pay you to study. Yeah, you do. And ultimately, that's good for you. It's good for you. It takes time to prepare these sermons. I know some some of the sermons I give, you're probably thinking, not so much. But it did take time. An elder is a man who studies the Word, he memorizes the Word, he learns the Word, he loves the Word, he takes people back to the Word. Again, not what culture says, 
Not what pop culture says, not what psychology says. What does the Word say? But the reality is this. Every single believer in here, you are to be a man and a woman of the Word. That is the same call that you have for your life. Man does not live on bread alone by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is not just for me. to. We pay you to study the Word. And if I have a question, Chris, I'll call you. That's wrong. My job, Ephesians 4, is to build you up into maturity so that you can do the work of the ministry, it says in Ephesians 4. Not to pay me to do the work of the ministry. My job is to feed you that you will be, again, acquire a taste for the Word and begin growing up. But you won't grow up if you're only studying what I present you. It'd be like a child who never learns to feed themselves and always relies on mom and dad to sit at the table and shove a spoon in their mouth. Eventually, if your child was older and they were still doing that, you'd say there's a problem. No different here. The goal is to teach you again to learn to feed yourself. That's why I try to preach the way I do, to teach you how to study the Word. And and you see on your handout, the Word is of utmost importance to the church and its health. The the Word is our final authority on life and death issues. Everything is taken back to the Word. And again, I I was encouraged communicating with Kimberly. Everything went, nothing was woe is me, nothing was about the cancer. Everything was about the gospel. Everything was about what God was going to do with the gospel through her cancer. You know, even as she came up, I mean, I, I felt guilty becoming emotional. I, I, the, the challenge is, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm emotional for her. I, it's not like there's a, a death sentence or anything. I don't want you to think anything. It's just I'm emotional for her. I love her. Just like I love you. The challenge of, of being a pastor is you love the sheep. I, one of my highlights of the week is coming each week and on Wednesdays and see, and see you and, and fellowship and hang out. I, I worship Sunday in a different place and I missed you guys. It wasn't the same. But, but the, the, the key ingredient here for an elder is to be a man of the word. It's to take everything back to the word. Again, not what you want to hear. It's to instruct people in the word. But, but not only those, fourthly, to model God behavior in his own life for others to imitate. To model godly behavior. Every, every characteristic that you see here really revolve around character. And, and these are characteristics that the church, every single person in the church ought to, ought to exhibit. That the community ought to witness to varying degrees in our lives as a believer. To give a witness. And many of these have to do with the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5. There's a responsibility there as an elder to model that. Again, we're not perfect, but to model it. So so not only is an elder a servant leader... And, and not only specific duties, but you see on your handout, see the call of a man to the position of elder is to be exemplified through his life. Exemplified through his life. And that, that ties in to the modeling. Pa- Paul gives Timothy a portrait here of what an elder is to look like. 
And again, this is not a position where we can say as believers, well, that's good for him. He's an elder. I'm not an elder, so I'm exempt. There, there are characteristics that exemplify and glorify Christ, no matter who you are, Christian. All of us should be seeking to grow in these areas. If you were to go over to 2 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 2, seeing His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence, for by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you become partakers. And he says, Now for this very reason, applying all diligence, add in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Not just elders. Every believer in here ought to be growing up. These take time. We'll see in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, they take discipline. And it, but, it, but it doesn't demand perfection. Nobody's perfect. No follower of Christ ever achieves perfection. Never do they arrive at the place where they no longer have a need or room for growth, no longer have a need for repentance. But at the same time, it does show us this, that there shouldn't be a glaring violation. That's what he's saying. There shouldn't be a glaring violation. There shouldn't be a glaring hole where there's an inattentiveness to a certain area. And the reality is what we've seen, even an elder ought to have a sense of unworthiness about them with regards to their calling. A sense of unworthiness, a humility, a sense of God's calling to the position. And so I want to I briefly go through these characteristics because there, there's some disagreement over some. There's some confusion over some. I, I will tell you on the front end that, that, my, that our, us as elders and our, our conviction regarding a few of these will not mirror maybe what you've seen in another church. There, there is some, there is some, a few disagreements over these, but I want to give you, I want to give you where, where we are as a church, so that you'll understand. And so, when when your elders are, are uh, when they, when we come forward in a few weeks and have a, a business meeting to kind of give you a six month checkup, and when we bring some deacons before you and things like that, you'll understand who these are, and and and, and you'll see these characteristics in their lives. And the Bible gives four areas. You'll see in your handout that we're to evaluate. If you were to take these characteristics and group them, there are four real areas of a, per, of a man's life that we're to evaluate in order to confirm a person for the position of elder. And the first one in verses 2 and 3, and it's moral character. It has to do with moral character. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. First thing he says is above reproach. That characteristic really sums up all the other characteristics. Under, undergirding it all, above reproach. What, what, he mean, what it means there is he's, he's set apart as a standard. Again, no matter how you measure him, this is a man who is somewhat set apart with regards to that standard. You can look to him. You can follow him. It, it, the, the one who is in leadership of the church is to be a pattern. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 11. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's to be a pattern to follow. 
It's a high and lofty pattern. It's someone who's not marked by a vice or a sin. They've not given in to that. They're, they're, they're aggressively attacking any sin in their life. The point is that the standard is high. The point here, remember when we look at these, the bar is to be kept high because we saw two weeks ago, attitude reflects leadership. And the leadership sets the pace, sets the thermometer. What, literally what he's saying here is there's, there's nothing about this man's life that Satan can get a hold of or has a hold of in his life. That they're not known for or thought about with regards to a specific sin. If you mention this person's name, you don't think, oh, well, that guy's an adulterer or he's a thief. He's not known for his sin. Above reproach. He says next, and this is one of the sticky ones, husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. Lots of disagreement over what this says. Literally in the Greek, literally in the Greek, here's what the Greek would read. One woman man. One woman man. This is a man who is a one woman man. The questions come up, well, can they be divorced? One woman man. Can they be single? I don't, think that, I don't think that disqualifies a person from being single. I think it means if you're married, you're a one woman man. Here's what it means. You're a faithful husband. You're a faithful father. It means you're pure. And, and, and listen, in light of everything taught here, in, in light of the rest of Scripture... We as Odessa, we at Odessa as elders have, have chosen a path that, that an elder here at Odessa will not be a man who's been divorced unless he remarried the one he divorced. That's the path we've chosen. One woman man, above reproach. Remember, even under one woman man, the, the, the characteristic of above reproach comes in as well. And I realize that we differ. There are some people who have been pastoring much, much longer than me, written a whole lot more books than me, which you've written one book, you've written more than me, <laughs> you know, that take a different path. We, as, we at Odessa have chosen that path. We're going to stick to the strictest sense of one woman man. It doesn't mean that if, you, if that disqualifies you, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you can't serve in any capacity. We're called to serve no matter what. It does mean that we won't bestow upon you the title of elder. But you can still serve, and you ought to serve. The reality is if you refuse to serve, if I could just share my heart, if you, if you refuse to serve because you don't have a title, I think the proof's in the pudding. If you need a title to serve, you're probably not worthy of the title. Christians ought to be known as servants. You know, you, you, know how you're no, you know you're known as a servant when people treat you like a servant. And, and again, one woman man. Temperate. He says, he next he says temperate. That word there means, it means someone who's clear-headed. It means someone who's alert, sober-minded. Someone who makes sound judgment. Someone who is discerning. Next he says someone who's prudent. That, that word means sensible. It means not someone who's impulsive. He doesn't, he doesn't live by his feelings. He lives by the truth of God's word. It's someone who's not mastered by pleasure, he, but it's someone who's mastered by truth. 
Next, he says is respectable. That, that word means modest. It means orderly. It means decent. Interestingly enough, it's similar to what he said back in, we saw in chapter 2 with regards to women's dress. Next, he says this is to be a man who's hospitable. Literally, the word there, it means lovers of strangers. Lover of strangers. This is a man who opens his heart to people, who opens his home to people. Not afraid to meet new people. Next, he says, is able to teach. This is someone who knows the word well enough and is able to teach and put forth sound doctrine to guide people into truth. It's a man who studies. It's a man who's teachable. Next, he says, not addicted to wine. The word literally means does not linger long with wine. That's what the Greek would literally picture, does not linger long with wine. It's, it's someone who's not known for getting drunk. It's someone who's not associated with alcohol in that sense. When you think about them, you don't picture them with a drink in their hand. Not addicted to wine. Not pugnacious. That's not a word, by the way, that I've ever used before. But it means not violent. It's a person who controls his anger. It's a person who's not easily provoked. Next he says it's a man who's gentle. That, that word there in the, in the Greek means a man who is gracious. It's a man who doesn't demand his rights. Think about that with regards to title I just said. A man who doesn't demand his rights. It's a man who's been softened by God's grace. It's a man who understands God's grace in his own life. It's a man who, in response to that, is, is, takes that grace and applies it to other people's life. Not, not soft on sin, but who's gracious, who's gentle. It's a man who seeks to deal with people as, as God has dealt with him. Gentle. Next he says this is a man who's peaceable. Literally the word there, it's a man who doesn't need to prove how big or bad he is. He doesn't need to prove it. He's not quarrelsome. It's interesting, the word here in the Greek is literally a-macho. It's a man who is, doesn't feel like he needs to be macho. When you put the a in front of a word, it negates the word. So not macho. That makes a guy of my stature feel really good. Not macho. Free from the love of money. We'll jump into that one more in chapter 6. I think that's very clear. Characteristics. Characteristics of a man. Moral character. But not only moral character, the second really area that he deals with here is reputation at home in verses 4 and 5. He says, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And, and again, this, this pertains to all areas of home and family life. Your, your wife, your finances, your kids, your in-laws. Our children are a training ground, if you will, for ministry. If, if a man loses his home, listen, he loses his ministry. Your ministry, my ministry, it begins at home. I, I've got a mission field of two little ones at home. 
And sometimes, listen, that can be the hardest place. Because guess what? They know Chris. They know their dad. They've seen their dad. And yet, it's a training ground. And, and guess what? Here's the deal, guys. No matter whether you're an elder or not, you know what the home is? The home is to be your primary mission field. You have kids, huge responsibility to train them up in the fear of the Lord. Huge responsibility to see them as heirs in the hands of a mighty warrior and aim them straight for the Lord. The question becomes, what are you teaching your kids? Even if you're not an elder, what are you teaching your kids at home? Where are you aiming them? And, and the man's home and ministry are not in competition. Both are to be cultivated. And it requires, sometimes it requires saying no to good things. Why? To protect your home. So not only your, your, your moral character, but your home life. But then verse 6, he talks about your spiritual maturity. This is a man who's marked by spiritual maturity. He's not a new convert, it says. This is a man who has walked with Christ, who has grown, who has matured. He talks about ordaining somebody or, or establishing an elder too soon breeds content. But fourthly, he says, not only spiritual maturity and, and your moral character and your home life, but your reputation in the community. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church. How about people at your work? What are you known for? People that you hang out with outside of church, what are you known for? If we went and met with them, what if we put a, what if we put a flyer in the newspaper and listed the names of the elders here at Odessa? Would we get any calls? Better yet, what if we put all of our names, what if we listed in the newspaper every member of Odessa and we said, hey, community, in your workplaces, sports fields, anywhere, what are these people known for? What would they say? See, none of us get around it. None of us get around it. Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that seeing your good deeds, they'll glorify your Father who's in heaven. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, elder or not. What's your reputation in the community? And this is a big deal, and hear me. If you were to look at, this is why I say this is a big deal, why, why I want you to, to know these, why I want you to know who our elders are, because elders, from this text, it seems clear that when you become an elder, you become a special target of Satan. Look at, look at verses 6 and 7. And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. What, what was the condemnation incurred by the devil? He wanted to be, like, he wanted to be God. He wasn't, he wasn't okay just following. But not only that, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. There, there's a mark. If, if Satan can bring down the elders, he can rattle, if not destroy, the church. That specific local church. And, we, and all of us probably have seen or heard of cases like that. Twice here, Paul mentions Satan in connection with elders. They're marked men in, in many regards. So pray for us. Pray for them. Watch them. Model them. 
We're, we're going to stop here at elders. We'll do deacons next week. Uh, but it's a big deal. Listen, godliness ought to mark every single one of our lives. Christ-likeness, the fruits of the Spirit, they ought to mark every single one of our lives, elder or not. Spiritual maturity, every single one of us in here are called to spiritual maturity. Every single one of us in here are called to, to go after with great fervor our sin, to not be okay with sin, to not have pet sins. All to the glory of Christ, all fueled by Christ. Ephesians 1.13 says that every single believer has been sealed with the Spirit. You have been gifted with the Spirit to fight sin, to convict of sin, to prevent sin. Believer, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. We ought to be, we ought to be a people, Christians ought to be people that are growing. Maturity. These things ought to mark our lives. Why? To the glory of God. If you were to go to Romans 12, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, so that you may prove what the will of the Lord is, that which is good and acceptable and pleasing. Every believer. Every believer's response to the gospel is to present your lives to God as a sacrifice, as an offering. Here's what it means, believer. Christ died for you. You ought to live for Him. He died that you could be glorified. You and I are to live that He could be glorified. And if you're here today and, and you're not sure you know who Christ is, you're not sure that you're saved, I, I'm challenging you. There is salvation in no one other than Jesus Christ. I don't know how much clearer the Bible can be to that. That is our belief, that there is salvation in no one other than Jesus Christ. We have put our faith in that. And for you to say no to that statement, listen to me, is for you to place your faith in something else. Either way, it's by faith. You say, well, I'm not going to be a person of faith. Oh, yes, you are. You're either by faith going to believe that Jesus is the way, or by faith you're going to believe that He's not the way. Either way, it's by faith. You can believe that Jesus Christ is exclusively the way to heaven, or you can exclusively believe something else. Either way, it's an exclusive claim. And every single one of us are going to have to make that decision. Same question is that Jesus posed to his disciples, posed to you and I. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He said, who do the people say that I am? All these, he says, well, who do you say that I am? Individually, personally, every single one of us are going to have to make that decision. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And based on the validity and truthfulness and the reliability of this word, your eternal destiny is at stake based on your answer. The eternal destiny of your children is at stake based on your answer. Heaven and hell are in the balance with who do you say that Jesus is.